Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. What might we lose? Here's my dog Bonnie come to say hello. There we go. But what might we lose? Well, that's a very strange title. I want to explore the, perhaps the cost of following Jesus and maybe the reasons why we might think I don't want to be a follower of Jesus. This sounds strange when we're talking very much about the joy of Lazarus being raised from the dead. We're at the end of chapter 11 where Jesus has gone to the home of Lazarus, who he, a friend of his who has died, and when he finds the people grieving, uh, he uh, weeps with them. We looked at that in our recent study. And then some of those who are watching respond negatively and they're critical of him for not coming quickly enough. And we looked at that in our last study. So some of them said, could he not have, he who opened the eyes of the blind man, could he have not kept this man from dying? This is John eleven thirty-seven, And we read on, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. The Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there will be a bad odor, for he's been there four days. I love the reality of this. She's saying, look, he's going to stink. We can't open that. You can't do that. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So has she expressed an unbelief by saying, don't open it because uh, it will smell. Has she lost the right to, to see the resurrection of Jesus? Is Jesus going to punish her for her doubting? Well, we need to be aware that belief is not a feeling of certainty. She's allowed to say what's going on. She's allowed to ask the question about whether it's going to smell or not. Rather, belief is the action of hope and obedience. For we read in the next verse, they took away the stone. And so her belief is not a feeling, it's a decision of action. So he took away the stone, John eleven forty one. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So we discover there is an element of the relationship between the Father and the Son, that which is there for the people rather than the reality. He already has a deeper intimacy that words that go beyond words. And then in verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And we get this remarkable moment. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, it could be that I ought to do a whole talk just around this moment, but in a sense, in all the ways we've looked at this story leading up to and particularly when we talked about Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, I've covered the impact of this story already. I want to follow on with what happens next. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Now, what does that mean, that they put their faith in him? Well, again, we've explored this in previous talks, but essentially they are choosing Jesus as the one they want to obey. They're going to follow him and do what he commands of them, which incidentally is to love even their enemies and to love sacrificially. They're going to follow him even to the point of death and the cross. They're putting their faith in him because they're believing that that following of him is worthwhile. It is the right thing to do and that it will lead on into eternal life. 
They're not simply just saying, give me eternal life. And sometimes religion is caricatured and Christianity is caricatured as to that's all it is. It's about a choice about where you're going to go. No, they were choosing by putting their faith in him. They were choosing something that began then and went on into eternity. It was a choice to live for Jesus, following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, being a copier of Jesus, being obedient to Jesus that would bear fruit of eternal life. And therefore they were trusting him with their hope. So many saw the resurrection of Jesus, uh, sorry, the resurrection of Lazarus by Jesus. And they said, yep, this is the one that we're going to give our lives to. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is verse 46, 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. They had what might, we might say is a legitimate fear that if Jesus was believed to be the Messiah, that that Messiah was in opposition to the Roman Empire, and that if they allowed people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Romans would come down hard on them and would uh, demolish the temple and take away all their influence and role. They would be wiped out. They'd seen the Romans do that to other nations. If Jesus was the Messiah, who people believed was going to overthrow the Romans, then they, were, they, were, they feared they were bound to lose to the Romans. So they didn't believe he was the Messiah, but they were frightened of the belief that others have that he might be because they didn't believe he was the Messiah and they believed he would ultimately fail. But they had failed to understand the real purpose of Jesus. Jesus hadn't come for a political kingdom. He hadn't come for a geographical kingdom. He had come to set people free, not from the Romans, but from the power of sin and the alienation that that brought from God. He was doing something different. And whenever we try and mix religion and politics in the sense of trying to see a political kingdom, we come unstuck. The kingdom of God is not about a place. But more importantly, they were viewing Jesus through their own self-interest. They were seeing, what are we going to lose? And that's what they feared. And that got me thinking about how we might sometimes pull away from Jesus because we can see what we might lose. They were going to lose perhaps their, their, their role, their influence, their livelihood, because they feared the temple would be destroyed. What is it that we lose if we follow Jesus? So I went on a little bit of a journey of thinking about that, and that if that was a verse said to us today, here in the 21st century, and people would say, look, if, everyone, if we carry on believing in him, then this is what will be taken away from us. What would be taken away from us? A number of things. My first suggestion, you might come up with a very different list. My first suggestion is that if we believe in Jesus, we will have extravagance taken away from us. 
Because we'll become people who are concerned for the need of, need of, needs of others, well, because we'll become people of generosity, because we become people who share, because we become people who feel uncomfortable and, and uh, uneasy about having a lot more than other people. And if we follow Jesus, we won't have as much money as if we'd kept it all for ourselves. And so in a sense, Jesus takes that away. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're, we're giving up the idea of having the nicest houses, of being the richest people, of having the best cars, of having the biggest pensions. Because we're choosing a pathway of sharing. We're choosing a pathway of generosity. We're choosing a pathway of giving, of 10% and more, a whole of our lives to God. And my second thing that I think that following Jesus takes away is thoughtlessness. Because if I don't follow Jesus, I don't really care how my life impacts anybody else. There's no need for me to be concerned about the way I treat other people. Whereas when I follow Jesus, I have to work harder at being kinder to others. And so my choice to follow Jesus, my belief in Jesus, takes away a sort of freedom to do whatever I want without fear of consequences, without uh, worrying about whether I'm hurting or damaging another person. Because when I choose to follow Jesus and that command to love my neighbor as myself, his spirit plants within me a desire to bless and, and uh, enrich the people I live with, particularly my enemies. And so I find myself being drawn to use kinder and gentler actions to the people that if I wasn't a Christian, I would run roughshod over. So Jesus takes away my thoughtlessness. And Jesus takes away my freedom to manipulate situations and people by being econ economical with the truth, by being allowed to distort reality to fit in with what I want because Jesus demands of me truth. And when his spirit comes to rest within me because of my invitation, I find that I'm uncomfortable with the little ways I've manipulated people, the little half-truths, the way I play people off against each other. And so following Jesus takes away the freedom to manipulate people and circumstances and facts to our own ends because that's incompatible with following Jesus. And following Jesus takes away my freedom of indulgence. Because when the Spirit of God rests within me, I am battling to be more self-controlled, to not fly off the handle, to not uh, eat as much as I want, to not indulge every appetite I have for my own pleasure. But actually to follow Jesus is to, to try and take a mastery and a control over my body. And so I am robbed, if you like, of the freedom to be self-indulgent. And Jesus takes away my freedom to hold on to resentment and to blame others for everything that I feel is wrong in my life and the life of my community. That if I follow Jesus, I will have to stop blaming others. I will have to forgive and let go and I will have to recognize my own part and my own faults. And so maybe it, we, we might say to other people, don't follow Jesus because he will take away your freedom to be extravagant, your freedom to be thoughtless, your freedom to manipulate, your freedom to be self-indulgent, and your freedom to hold on to resentment. 
and he will finally take away your freedom to be arrogant and to blame everybody else. Because when we follow Jesus, we stop making excuses for our behavior. And we come in humility and confession before Jesus. And there are people perhaps who suspect that this is what it means to follow Jesus and say, well, I don't want to do that. And we pick it up again in John eleven forty nine. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now, he meant it's better that we get rid of Jesus than that the temple in Jerusalem is ransacked. But of course, he was speaking prophetically, as John tells us. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the whole nation. In other words, that that which they wanted for their own self-preservation, God was going to use for the glory of mankind. And Jesus was going to die for the whole nation, not as they expected to keep Jerusalem safe, but to save mankind. And as John spells out in verse 52, not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God. And I love this phrase, to bring them together to make them one. Notice how the death of Jesus was for all peoples, all the children of God, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, to bring us together in a united family with Jesus. And so I might look at that whole list of things that are negative, but actually, for me, I would far rather be a part of bringing people together of the salvation of humanity. And for me, it's worth giving up, having all the money. And sharing is a joy. And thinking how to be kinder is a joy. And being of truth is a joy. And learning to be self-controlled is a joy. And boy, letting go of resentment is a real joy. And the freedom of humility over arrogance and to be part of the mission and purposes of God. And so I would want to say, yes, I want to choose to follow Jesus because the cost is worth it. And so questions for reflection, what for us makes it worth it? What for us do we see and sense God doing in our lives? And are we glad to pay the cost of following Jesus? And where is that cost real for us? What makes it worth it? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you call us to something significant and valuable. You call us to follow you. You call us to live a life of love and discipleship and obedience for the broken, the hurting, the lost, and the poor around us. And Lord, that does pay a cost because we have to live and think differently. But we want to bring all people into your kingdom. So Lord, we offer ourselves again to you, willing to pay that cross. Help us, Lord Jesus, to follow you through sacrifice into the life of obedience to you. Take our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.